This morning uh, we're looking at uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and it's at the end of Ephesians, Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 9. Ephesians 6, 1 to 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exacerbate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Well, I wonder how you'd finish this sentence. Home is dot dot dot. Where the heart is, of course. Maybe uh, through COVID it's been a place of solitude and quiet and refreshment. Maybe on the other hand it's been a place of chaos and mess and loud noises as you've sort of um, found yourself suddenly homeschooling. Uh, maybe it's a place filled with good memories or regrets. Maybe it's a place of never-ending jobs needing to be done. Or maybe it's a place of pride for you. Not a house, but a home. And you know that a man's home is his castle, complete with a pool room and jousting sticks. What's your home? What is your home? Are we going to hear today how God answers that question from his word in Ephesians? What God says to us here is that underneath everything else, regardless of whatever else it is, your home is a place for you to serve Jesus. Your home is a place for you to serve Jesus. Uh, Paul's been talking about these incredible realities in this letter, right? Uh, he's from, uh, especially in the first few chapters, we've seen um, how he's described God's plan to bring all things united under Jesus uh, how he's shown that through the gospel, God has created this new humanity united to Christ and that in him we are God's new family. We're like a sign to the world of the transforming power of the gospel, this victory banner being waved to the spiritual forces. And in the second half of the letter, he's gone from these huge, wonderful realities. He's gone from them and, and, and he's been showing the way in which those big realities shape all of life, shape us as we live. He's He's urged us to walk worthy of the calling we've received. Well, uh, as Paul's gone al al along, what he's been doing is he's sort of getting um, from higher and higher up, further and further down. He's been sort of getting closer and closer to the ground, focusing on the details of life. We saw that last week as Paul opened the door to our houses and started talking about husbands and wives. So not just impacting how we live together in the church, but even in our own homes. Uh, and this week, Paul uh, continues on talking about this um, household being transformed by the gospel. Uh, he talks about these four different roles that were common in the ancient world. Uh, children, fathers, slaves and masters. Uh, that slave-master relationship was actually part of the household life. And so sometimes you hear this called uh, Paul's household code. 
Um, we don't have the same social setup, uh, of course, but what Paul says to slaves and masters, and we'll look at this briefly at the end, uh, does have a lot of uh, things to say to us in uh, how we think about our own lives, especially as we think about our work relationships today. Uh, we're going to focus mostly on the, uh, on the first part of this little section. Uh, but this little part of Paul's letter is so precious to us because it shows how those big gospel realities filter down to every part of life. Being a Christian isn't just something for Sundays and Wednesday nights. Uh, all of life is lived under the Lordship of Jesus. You see that as you go along. Um, Paul always talk, whenever he talks to one group, he talks to them in reference to their relationship to Jesus. So verse 1, children obey your parents in the Lord. Verse 4, fathers bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Verse 5, slaves obey your masters just as you would obey Christ. Verse 9, masters relate to your slaves knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. Uh, so Jesus is overall, and one theologian puts it like this in a, famous, um, in a famous quote, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. <laughs> There's not one square inch of creation over which Christ does not cry, mine. There's not one square inch of your life over which Christ does not cry, mine. Not your relationship as a wife or as a husband, or as a child, or as a parent, or as an employee, or an employer. And even if you yourself are not directly in any, any one of those relationships that have been in focus in this section, even if you yourself are not directly um, in them, I want to urge you not to switch off from this passage. See, the question being pressed home to all of us, regardless of who we are, is, how am I living every part of my life? under the Lordship of Jesus, seeking to please Him in whatever situation I'm in. Uh, not only that, in the family of God, in the church, the health and the right ordering of our human families should matter to all of us. It should matter to all of us. Uh, the health of our human households uh, in this bigger family of God, it matters. It matters not just for our own sake. It matters actually primarily for Jesus' sake, for the sake of our witness to him and the glory of his name, for the message it sends to the world about the power of the gospel to transform lives. So even, friends, if these verses don't directly apply to you, if you're in Christ, can I urge you to pray for and encourage and support these relationships within your church family. Well, but on to what Paul says specifically. Firstly, he talks to kids. Verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with the promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. You notice this isn't written to parents. It doesn't say, parents, make sure your children obey you. Uh, it is important for parents to know this, uh, to know that God's good design is that you have authority over your children while they're in your home, while they're dependent on you. You're not their peer, you're their parents, and it's not loving to your kids to let go of that. There's more to say about the authority that you do have, and we'll talk about that soon. But the word here is directly to kids, and that's really surprising. Uh, in the ancient world, kids wouldn't have been spoken to like this. 
But Paul is following in the footsteps of Jesus here who welcomed little children to him. And, and he expects children to be a full part of the life of the family of the church. He expects them to be listening in as his letters being read out to the gathering of the church. Uh, he sees kids in the church family. He sees them not as pagans needing to be converted. He sees them as little disciples of Christ uh, who by God's spirit can listen and follow God's word. So he does a little kids talk here in this part of his letter. So kids, I want you to stop what you're doing right now, whatever you're doing, uh, and look up here. <laughs> uh, I can see you. No, I can't. But uh, you can see me. Uh, and so I want you to listen up. And I want you to know. I want you to know that God doesn't ignore you. God doesn't ignore you. I want you to know that you are a really important part of His family. You're a really important part of His family and of His great plan. And while you're a kid, while you're living under the care of your parents, one of the main ways that you can serve Jesus is by respecting and obeying your parents. Obeying them in the Lord. Obeying them when they ask you to do what's right. And God loves it when you do that. He loves it when you do it, not grumbling or sort of uttering curses under your breath, but doing, doing it happily and willingly. God loves that. Uh, why should you obey your parents? It's not because they're perfect. Hot tip. You might have figured this out already, but they're not. Um, it's not because mum never gets crusty and dad never gets grumpy and makes mistakes. Uh, God says to obey your parents because it's right. Because it's right. It's the way he made families to work and to work best. And it's actually good for you. Did you see that? There's a promise here so that it may go well with you uh, and that you may enjoy long life in the earth. Uh, it's not saying do this and you'll never have any problems. Uh, but he, uh, Paul's saying here, in general, in general, kids being obedient to your parents is going to set you up much better um, to be an adult. And not just that, but you see, by trusting and obeying your parents in the Lord, you're learning uh, what it means to trust and obey God himself. Uh, it's going to help you live the rest of your life Trusting and obeying Jesus, serving him in freedom and confidence. And so your parents are not going to get it right all the time. They'll mess up and hopefully they'll come to you and ask your forgiveness when they do. But God is your perfect father in heaven and you can trust him completely all the time. So please listen to his word today, kids. I hope you're still looking. Please listen to his word today. Obey your parents. Obey them, not because they're perfect. Obey them in the Lord. Obey them when they ask you to do the right thing. Not because they're perfect, but because God is. And he has put you in your family. He wants you to respect and obey your parents when they ask you to do what's right. So that's God's word for you today, kids. Uh, now, parents, at this point, you're probably cheering. <laughs> you might be cheering, but don't celebrate too early. Uh, because as much as kids have a responsibility in the Lord to obey you, you have a sacred and high responsibility to them. But Paul focuses in on dads here, on fathers. Dads, you have a special responsibility in your family. 
See, in the, in the Bible, mums and dads are not just interchangeable. God's good design is for kids to be raised by their dad and mum, each bringing something unique and precious. Now, that's not the reality for many people, and I'm very conscious of that, and perhaps for you today. Uh, if that's your situation, perhaps you're a single parent, I want to encourage you that God is good, that he's there for you, and I want to encourage you that your church family is there for you too. Uh, if you're a single parent, can I urge you to invest in relationships in, uh, in your church family and surround your kids with uncles and aunties in Christ uh, who can help as this, this family of, in Christ, this family of the church, who can help raise your kids in the faith. But dads, you're in the spotlight here. And there's a negative word and a positive word. The negative word is this. Don't exasperate your children. Don't exasperate them. Uh, it's totally surprising for kids to say this. In the ancient world, the home really was the man's castle. Um, and he often ruled over it in pretty despicable ways, tyrannical ways. But that is not God's design. Dads, you are not the Lord of the manor. You are not the Lord of your house. Jesus is. Your authority is given to you by God and you will be held accountable for how you use it. And Paul says here, watch out. Watch out for relating to your kids in ways that create resentment and bitterness, that exasperate them. Uh, there's a whole way of ways that you can be doing that. You can do that by being too harsh, laying these heavy burdens on them that you would never put on yourself. Um, you can do that by, on the other hand, sort of just distancing yourself, being distant and disconnecting. I reckon one of our that one of our real traps here is our screens. So I can find myself having whole conversations with my kids while I'm at my computer, and then I realise afterwards I have absolutely no idea what they just said. <laughs> it's, it's terrible, right? Uh, I, need to, I need to learn to put the phone down, turn away from the screen, and attend to my children when they come to me to, to give my attention to them uh, so that they learn that I'm there for them I'm, so I don't exasperate them. Well, there's a whole range of ways. It needs real humility to ask ourselves, how, how am I doing this? How might I be exasperating my kids? And if you're really game, why don't you ask them that? <laughs> Why don't you ask your kids that? Are there things I'm doing that you just are finding really frustrating that make it hard for you to be obedient to me? Uh, see, dads, you want a relationship with your kids where they obey you on the whole, <laughs> willingly, because they trust you. And that's just going to be so much harder for them to do if you are exasperating them. If you're relating to ways that are building resentment and anger and frustration. So don't exasperate your kids. But on the positive side, Paul says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That, that phrase, bring them up, it literally means nourish them. It's this beautiful image of tender, gentle, patient, loving input into your child's life. So dads, what are you nourishing your kids on? What are you feeding them with? Another way of approaching that or asking that is, Dads, what is your deepest desire for your kids? What's your deepest desire? Uh, a few options. A stable life. Financial security. Success and happiness. To take over the business. Uh, Self-fulfillment. 
All of those to different levels are common answers in our culture and all of them make terrible and destructive idols when they are put in God's place. You see, dads, what, what God's word is saying to you today is that your kids need most of all to be nourished in the training and instruction of the Lord. If you want a one-line job description, that's it. They need to know that they are not God, but that Jesus is Lord, and that it's through being united to Him and being walking, walking in Him, it's through that that we can have real life, both now and into eternity. So dads, uh, can I suggest one key thing that you can do? One key thing uh, is to think about establishing habits, settled habits in your family life around God's word. Uh, if your main job is to nourish your children in the training and instruction of the Lord, then find some way in the rhythms of your family to read the Bible and pray with your kids. There's great kids' Bibles for younger kids. But just reading the Bible, reading through a gospel together, it's messy, it's hard, and it's usually discouraging. Um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to look different for every family. For us, I, I aim for a Bible and prayer time after dinner. And often it's chaos and not at all inspiring. And uh, often actually doesn't happen. But I need to keep remembering, I need to keep, you need to keep remembering, dads, that God's word is powerful and that it is our privilege and responsibility to raise our kids, to nourish them in the training and instruction of the Lord. And we need to remember, dads, that today is always a good day for a fresh start to recommit ourselves to that great task. So if you're struggling to know how to do that, ask for help. There's good resources out there, but commit to it in your household. And one more thing I want to urge dads to do is to not only commit to it in your household, but commit to it in the household of God, in the gathering of God's people around God's word. Uh, dads, there are a few things that will more deeply train and nurture your kids in God's word than seeing them seeing you committing yourself and your family week in, week out to being with your church family, gathering, singing God's praise when you're able to, when we're out of COVID, uh, humbly engaging with God in prayer and listening to his word, uh, being engaged in that. And actually studies have shown this um, for adults who have grown up in the church, one of the key factors in whether they continue active involvement in church or not, one of the key factors is the commitment and involvement of their own father. Um, dads, we have a high and sacred privilege and responsibility here. Now, of course, there's going to be things that come up that mean we, we um, perhaps can't occasionally gather for church. And We haven't got to this stage yet, but I'm anticipating conversations about all the extracurricular things on Sunday mornings, which I'll need wisdom to navigate when they come. Now, I don't want to foster a kind of legalism here, but if we are listening to God's word, then we will know, you will know that the training and instruction of the Lord is infinitely more important and valuable for your kids, infinitely more precious than the training and instruction of any sports, the training and instruction of any club, than anything else. 
will know that any opportunity to nourish our kids in the gospel and for them to develop relationships within the church family is an incredibly precious gift from God, not to be taken lightly. And we'll know that it's our responsibility to make the most of those opportunities and to be very careful not to let other things crowd them out. So I want to urge you dads to have a settled habit in your family life of gathering with God's people around God's word and be prepared for those times when you may need to use your God-given authority over your kids to lovingly, calmly, but firmly lead your family in this way and to be prepared to be the bad guy for a little while uh, because you are nourishing in the best thing of all the training and instruction of the Lord. And can I add an extra little word to mums, uh, to mums and wives? Last week, uh, we thought about what Paul says about your willing respect and submission to your husband. Can I suggest that one key way for you to put that into practice in this area is that when your husband shows initiative here, when he takes responsibility for the spiritual health of your family, when he says, I think we've got to start reading the Bible together. Or I'd like us to be more disciplined in setting aside Sunday mornings for church. When he says that, have his back, mums. Support him. Be there right by his side. Partner with him in this God-given task of raising your children to know and love Jesus. Okay, so much there to think through and to put into practice. Uh, remember what Paul's doing. He's taking the big picture of the gospel and applying it to the to the down, right down into the details of life, right down into our everyday relationships. Uh, he's got one more at the end here, which we'll quickly touch on about slaves and masters. It's a controversial area. Some people have read this as Paul condoning slavery, saying it's okay. Uh, that's, I don't think that's actually what's going on here. There are a few quick comments. When we hear about slavery, we think of the transatlantic slave trade of the 18th century. Um, slavery in the ancient world was very different to that. Uh, slaves were just everywhere. They were a very common part of everyday life. You could enter into and out of slavery quite often. Uh, uh, something, something like a household servant. It wasn't, an uh, it wasn't necessarily an employee. You couldn't easily leave. But you could win your freedom as a slave. Uh, a slave was legally tied to the household and sort of came under the head of the house. Uh, but there is a difference here. Whereas husbands and wives and children and parents are part of God's good design, this slave and master relationship isn't. It was just a, a, real, a serious and common economic reality of life that um, Paul knew that the Christians in, um, uh, in Ephesus had to deal with and think, how am I to live in this situation that I find myself in? How am I to live as Jesus′ person? Uh, you see that, Paul, that, that uh, Paul doesn't see slavery as part of God's good design because he encourages people, if they can, in another place, he encourages them to leave it, to win their freedom if they can. Um, but he, does, he, does, he doesn't speak directly against the institution of slavery, but he does say here something remarkable that undermines its very foundations. That undermines its very foundations which sees another person, that dehumanizes a person. You notice what he says in verse 9. He sees slaves and masters radically, incredibly, shockingly in the context. He sees slaves and masters in verse 9 as equal under the lordship of Jesus. They both have one true master. And the big point here is that for Christians, whatever your situation, work, walking worthily of the calling you've received means 
living with Jesus as your king, as your, your master, as your Lord, in every relationship, in every situation, in every circumstance. And that's incredibly liberating. It was liberating for those who were in, in slavery, in this household servanthood. It meant that they, they knew whatever their household master was like, they knew that they had a true master who, who loved them, who died for them, uh, who was wise and, and um, who they could trust. They had Jesus. And they could see that their work was actually for him. And that meant they could give their best for their work. Even, even if their master frankly didn't deserve it, they were working for the true master, Jesus. They could work wholeheartedly, even when no one was looking. And it meant that masters, people who had authority over slaves, they had a check on their authority. It meant that they wouldn't dehumanize their slaves. They wouldn't use threats of violence, but they would treat them with dignity. Now, it's not the same situation in workplaces today. It's not the same situation, I hope. Uh, but the similar principles apply. Our work matters. How we work matters. How we live all of our lives matters. What you do Monday to Friday for so much of your life matters for the glory of Jesus. You can work like this even in a work environment that's really difficult. You can do it because you're actually primarily firstly serving Christ. And you have in him a wise master. And, and he will reward you. Verse 8, did you notice that as we read through? Positive re rewards are so encouraging, aren't they, in work? Even a simple word of encouragement is motivating. And well, you have the reward of Jesus to look forward to. You have his well done to look forward to. Now, I don't think in this context this means, in our context, I don't think it means that we shouldn't ever speak up against the abuse of power or we shouldn't feel free to change jobs if we need to. But when we are working in that situation, we'll do it for Jesus. We'll work like this. And if we're in a position of authority, perhaps an employer, or any other position of authority in any other kind of structure, maybe um, down the chain in your work, or maybe in church or another group, whatever position of authority you have, you will remember that it dishonors Christ to treat those under you harshly to use threats, to use coercion, and we'll see through God's eyes instead and we'll see that actually they belong to him and not to us. And we have a master too, who we are accountable to. Again, heaps there to put into practice. But let's tie things together. Underlying all of this is the wonderful news that Jesus is Lord, that through his death and resurrection we enter a new relationship with him and that frees us up to relate to one another in a new way. We can relate to one another marked by Jesus' own self-giving love and not by our own self-centered desire. We can relate to each other seeking to please him and be shaped by him. And that's not just for when we're gathered on Sundays and Wednesday nights for church and home group. It's for every relationship wherever you are, even through the door of your home, even at your workplace, Wherever you are, all places come under Jesus' good and loving rule and they are places where you can serve him. Uh, we need to remember the gospel in all of this, though, don't we? And I'll just finish with this. We need to remember that we are saved by grace, not works. And you'll fail at this, but remember that your identity is secure in Christ and his spirit's there to help you, 
to remind you of his forgiveness, to help you get back up and keep walking this road, to live your life worthy of the calling you've received. Uh, So let's pray that he will help us to do that now, can we? Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for this wonderful um, passage. We thank you that the gospel changes everything and that we can live for you in every relationship. Please help um, children in our church family. Uh, Please help them to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. Please help dads especially not to exasperate their children, uh, but to nourish them in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Please help those of us in these ordered relationships, perhaps at work um, or in any other context. Please help us to work well from the heart, knowing that we're actually working for you. And if we're in a position of um, responsibility or authority, help us to, to exercise that responsibly, knowing that we actually come under you and we'll give account to you. So in all of these things, we pray that our conduct would give glory to you and that through us, your church here, that through us people would see the beauty of the gospel and come to know Jesus and the forgiveness and new life that's in him. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.